say does that star-spangled DVD case yet wave or the land of Paul and Jamie and the home of Murray. Happy fourth. And let's play ball. It's a mad about mad about you. It is a baseball time. It's baseball time. <laughs> and today's the fourth. This is dropping on the fourth of no, July, it's not. John. Is it not? No. <laughs> well, now <laughs> we have to release it on the fourth of July. <laughs> we don't. We don't have time. No, it's coming out the eleventh. <laughs> Hope you all enjoyed your fourth rise, guys. Now this feels like false patriotism and jingoism. <laughs> Rather than... No, I mean, take it easy. It's just a mix-up. <laughs> just a mix-up. If Mad About You was a final frontier, we're traveling outside of time and space here. So let's break it down now. It's just what we do. It's Mad About... Mad About You. That's about right. That's how we're starting with just the mix-up. I mean, sounds like not what this episode's about, actually, but in general. That's true. Welcome to Mad About Mad About You, all you Rise guys and Rise gals. My name is Russ Fader. I'm John Marbley. Happy belated fourth. Happy belated fourth, everybody. We hope that you had a meaningful holiday. We hope that you lit off fireworks safely and respectfully. If you have a dog, they weren't too spooked by said fireworks. We hope that if you're Kobayashi or Joey Chestnut, that you ate your body weight in hot dogs. More hot dogs than advisable by the Food and Drug Administration. You know, I was talking about this the other night with some mm -hmm. friends. They call it a hot dog eating contest, but really it's a wet roll contest. Because <laughs> nobody cares about the hot dogs. You think nobody cares about the hot dogs? Not compared to the fact that they're shoving soaking wet bread down their throats. <laughs> like, if that was just the contest. <laughs> this is such an interesting take. That's why John. we're all watching it. <laughs> I, have you heard? I don't you think you should be allowed to use water. Um, I think you should be allowed to drink, but you shouldn't be allowed to dunk. I'm okay with dunking. I'm fine with it just but as Hey, Russ, have some backbone, okay? <laughs> I am. I'm sticking up for what I believe in. You're wrong. <laughs> I think it's funny. You've probably seen on the internet over the past bunch of years, the whole, is a hot dog a sandwich kerfuffle? Nope. Yeah, people have this big old question. That is an interesting one. So they like to debate whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich. Yeah, what defines a sandwich? Exactly. And Judge John Hodgman on his podcast said, a hot dog is not a sandwich because you would never think to cut it in half. And I like that. No, that's idiotic. I cut it in half all the time. You would expect... A hot dog to be served on a plate sliced in half. I wouldn't expect it, but I wouldn't be surprised. I would be shocked. If I asked for a hot dog, you go to a barbecue and you ask for a hot dog and you get a hot dog that's cut in half like that, I'd leave. I grew up in Cincinnati, which is the home of little hot dogs. Interesting. Have you ever had a Cincinnati cheese coney? I have not. Oh, it's a local dish. Yeah. It's a mini hot dog on a mini bun covered in chili, onions, and cheese. You know, it's a mini chili dog. Sure. Interesting. And you order... Two, three, four at a meal. Okay. But it's essentially half a hot dog. But it's a whole hot dog, right? Yes, but I'm saying the size is familiar. You're not 
focusing on the fact that it would be sliced in half. You're just talking about like, oh, no, I'm fine with a small hot dog. I can put that in my head. Yeah, but why are you so obsessed with the cutting? Because that's what sandwiches do. No, that's what sandwiches do? That's what sandwiches, sandwiches cut. (laughs) (laughs) This is an interesting debate. Right? And everybody else has it. But regardless, I'm flabbergasted by the fact that so many people say, is a hot dog a sandwich? And you're like, is the most important part of a hot dog eating contest the hot dog? You can test, no, it is the bread. No, I can test that in this messed up competition, it's the bread. Because they're allowed (laughs) to soak it in water and shove it down their throats. That's a freak show. (laughs) I love that. You being like, come look at these lunatics just shoving wet bread down their throats. That's what it is. Now go down the street. You want to see some real athletes doing something that makes sense. There's a bunch of people just eating dry breadless hot dogs as many as they can in three minutes go watch that well that's a proper tournament steer (laughs) proper tournament (laughs) you don't know that you don't know about the breakdown what are you talking about no i do what do you mean of how this you don't know if there's quarterfinals and semifinals you don't know if it's round robin you don't know how that tournament itself is it's a sportsman-like competition about that (laughs) that's fair i'll take that it's in good faith this is obviously where we talk about mad about you Yeah. On this show. Episode 10, season three. This is episode 56 of Mad About Mad About You. We're talking about episode 10, season three. Like we just said, this episode is called The City. What city, John? What do you think? Paris, France. You already mentioned Cincinnati. Uh, It's definitely not Cincinnati. All right. We don't have cabs like that. In Cincinnati, the cabs are not like that? No. All right. Well, then I guess it's Paris. We'll see if that theory holds up. Oh, New York. John, I'm a real idiot. Yeah. What do you think? Was that a good bit? No. <laughs> so this aired on December 15. Did you yep. say that? 1994? Thursday. This must be that. the last episode before Christmas. Probably. Yeah. This is the Christmas episode. There may be one around the 22nd, but I think I would be surprised if I there would was. be impressed. Let these people go home to their families. <laughs> Not to mention, I'm pretty sure that they don't have any more Christmas episodes for the duration of the run of the show. So it would be even more impressive if they were like, yeah, we're going to do a December 22nd episode. It's going to have nothing to do with Christmas. Yeah, that's <laughs> balls right there. What did TV Guide have to say? You're watching NBC. The Buckmans have turbulent encounters with strangers as they meet Ira's new girlfriend. Perfect. Perfection. That's great. Give this guy a raise. He earned his Christmas bonus. Or she. Apologies. A, something tells me it's a he. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Something tells me this person's already making their weight in gold. You know what I mean? Right. This is a veteran guy coming back, I think, or gal. You think so? Russ, you you put me in my head about person. (laughs) You know what? We should be in our head about person. There we go. Let's break the cycle on Mad About (laughs) Mad About You. This is a veteran writer, I think. Yes, I agree. And yeah, they nailed it. This is some rookie. Trying to be flashy with a quip <laughs> right, or a wry observation. Just thought about how weird and funny it would be if one of these was written in the second person. On Mad About You, you call your mother and she invites herself over for Thanksgiving. Russ, I think you just found a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> a rejected one, but one. Yeah. Yeah. One that was batted around. Rod Sterling's wife found that script underneath the other two scripts that she found in the garage for that TV movie that we covered a while That's ago. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what else was on TV? Oh, well, 
I can't wait to tell you all about it because I spent much of my, I spent one hour and 40 minutes of my morning watching what else was on TV. Oh boy. TV movie? Musical special. Oh. Yeah. ABC, eight o'clock, Elvis, the tribute. You're making a face. Yeah, he's so boring. Interesting. Doesn't everyone think Elvis is boring? Chime in, everybody. Is Elvis boring? After you see the majority of B-level stars from 1994 sing Elvis songs, you're going to think Elvis looks like Elvis. That's how great he is. (laughs) Does Regis sing? Regis is nowhere to be found, but I'll tell you who does make a big appearance halfway in the middle and gets a standing ovation from everybody in Memphis, Tennessee. John Stamos is in it. He kind of emcees things. He pops in and out. But in the middle of the thing, I hear a huge round of applause and I look down to my screen and I'm like, hey, who's that white haired dude? Why, it's Phil Donahue. And everybody is so psyched to see Phil Donahue. All of the moms and grandmas in Memphis are ecstatic. I can't blame them. Yeah. (laughs) He's there because he's just like, now let me tell you, I'm here because I lived through it and uh, very few people here knew what it was like before and what it was like after, but I'm here to tell you it was something special. I don't know if that's an accurate impression, but I can confidently say that's a good impression. It's pretty good. I didn't get high enough in my register. It just feels true. accurate. Yeah, that's about right. I'm totally fine with this. Remember, we covered him a few months ago about how he, he would have um, Broadway singers on his show. That's right. We did. It was a weird segment he'd do on his like crazy talk show. Yeah. <laughs> like, and now the cast of Les Miserables. <laughs> it's always very funny when that happens. Lots of late night shows where they're just like, here's a scene from Rocky the Musical. Oh, I love it, though. Yeah. Everybody needs to go online and try to find from, I think, either The Rosie Show or The View, but it was when The Times They Are A-Changin', the Bob Dylan jukebox musical was on. There was a performance of Like a Rolling Stone, and it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Everybody look it up right now. I'm not even sure if it's on YouTube anymore. It may be on Vimeo. That's a Russ wreck, everyone. Yeah, check it out. This concert was not the best, but there were parts of it that were a lot of fun. Priscilla Presley was there, Lisa Marie Presley was there, and Michael Jackson was there. Priscilla's the only one to say anything. She welcomed everybody at the beginning, and then just everybody else kind of waved at the end, like the queen. Of the desert? Yeah, like the queen of the desert. Priscilla, queen of the desert. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. Elvis was married to a very popular drag queen. Yeah. Who welcomed everybody to the show. From That's Australia. what that movie's about? Yeah. <laughs> I never saw it. <laughs> Good pull. <laughs> Thank you. Who else was there? Sammy Hagar kicked things off. Oh, yeah, I heard of him. Where do you know him from? I know Hagar pants are a brand. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the rock star is also the heir to the slack fortune. The seam star. The seam star. <laughs> That's what they call him. <laughs> you got to see this guy with the machine. <laughs> Let's see. Who else was He's there? He's got one of those um, two needle machines. No way. No, he can do it. Two seams at the same time. (laughs) Like Slash. Damn, he's good. Is that right, Slash? Slash, yeah. He's a guy. A two-bridge guitar, right? Uh, Some people have two-neck guitars. I'll tell you, one person who has, I think, a four-neck guitar. Oh, brother. E.T.? Who? E.T.? E.T., yeah. The baller rock icon, (laughs) E.T. The star star. 
I can't think of his name right now, and that is a shame, but the guitarist from Cheap Trick, and I bring that up and them up because they performed a song that was not featured on the concert itself, the one that was aired on ABC, but you can see it because they also, they streamed it, they aired it live initially on pay-per-view. And then the ABC thing was a replay that was edited for television. Gotcha. And there's a YouTube video of Cheap Trick doing, I can't remember which Elvis song, but it's a classic. I think it's all shook up. And through the whole song, they have a bagpiper playing in the background. Okay. Why? Does that sound right? No. No, it sounds real bad. And I'm a guy who really loves bagpipes, thinks they're interesting, thinks they sound great, thinks when used properly, it's fantastic. But in this, it's just like, it's a regular old rock and roll song. It sounds like an electromagnetic field is interfering with the rock song because in the background you just have... And even in parts where it would be like, oh, and then the band cuts out and it's just the drums and voice. It's like, yeah, the band cuts out and it's drums and voice and... It's like, this is not good. Billy Ray Cyrus sings. Hey, achy, breaky heart. He looks ridiculous and sounds terrible. Wait, he's uh, Miley Cyrus's dad, right? Miley Cyrus's dad. Yep, absolutely. Something interesting happens. Chet Atkins is there and he sings a, uh, a song that he wrote that Elvis then went on to perform. And he's there with a vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> that dead son of a bitch. <laughs> But he sings a song that didn't really make it too big. I didn't know it. And part of me is just like, ooh, when you don't know an Elvis song, mm. it's like, oh, this is like getting a new Elvis song. That's true. And part of me is like, oh, that's pretty neat. But the other part is like, if you didn't know it, there's a reason you didn't know it. Yeah, it stinks. Yeah. And when you go to a concert, it would be like going to an Elvis show and then him being like, this is one of my new songs. And what happens when you're at a concert and they play the new songs? Everybody goes to the bathroom. And I just think that's a really funny, weird thing to have happen, especially in a tribute show. You've got two hours yeah. to celebrate an icon. And this song happens and you're like, I don't know this one. Do you know this one? No, I don't know this one. Yeah. Man, I don't really like it. I wonder how it would be if the biggest star who ever lived did it. Uh, I don't know. But the writer, who's also a pretty good star, uh, I'm not too into it. Nobody knows who that writer is. Chet Atkins, people know. Compared to Elvis? Compared to Elvis, no. But everybody compared to Elvis. They had certain quotes. Like Elvis quotes? No. One was by Mick Jagger. I'm only mentioning this because it's funny what happened. He says, it says on the screen, he was a unique artist, an original. And then it's quoted as Mick Jagger. And when I read that Mick Jagger said it, I immediately had to be like, oh, I read that wrong. He was a unique artist, an original. Like, yeah, I had to go back to say it. In Mick Jagger's voice, I had to correct my own I get that. <laughs> inner monologue to make sure it sounded like him. Yeah, that'd be like if I read a quote by Jackie Mason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to go back. Absolutely. <laughs> Tony Bennett sang Love Me Tender. Michael Bolton sang Jailhouse Rock. These were both bad things that happened. Really? Yeah. Uh, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, the old soul duo. I who did that like was Soul Sam Man? Cook. No, I double check me. I don't think so. I think it's Sam Moore. I could be wrong. We could be wrong. I looked it up before. Well, then you're probably right. But he came out and did You Were Always on My Mind. And it's he Sam came Moore. out after a Sam Moore. He came out after just like a bunch of gray paint early 90s white dudes sang boring bad versions of Elvis songs. Right. And then he just comes out and with a line 
just levels the place. Oh, that's great. It's just like, oh, right. This is what a rock and roll soul singer sounds like. It uh-huh. was so good. They cut away to U2. They were like, here are three bands from non-U.S. countries doing Elvis songs. First, Scorpions. And Scorpions is a German band who sang Winds of Change in the 80s. And they are mostly a punchline these days. And they didn't sing a very good version of what they sang. I don't remember what it was. And then they cut to a screen and U2 is singing Can't Help Falling in Love With You. This sounds like a pretty crummy concert. It was weird. It was a lot of time. It was fun to watch U2 be like, yeah, look, this is how the biggest band in the world does this. We're not coming to Memphis to do it. Right. But you can pipe us in. It was almost like, it felt like, because they didn't introduce them. They were like, ladies and gentlemen, live from elsewhere, U2. It was just like, all of a sudden, U2 was on your screen. (laughs) It seemed pretty low rent. Yeah, this is bad. (laughs) Yeah, it might not have been on the level. You watched the the whole thing. The fact that they piped U2 in. Yeah, yeah, I did. That's right. No regrets, baby. That's right. (laughs) Living my life. So check it out. The whole thing is on if you want to or don't. If nobody, you have. I guarantee nobody's going to. <laughs> Based on that summary, nobody's going to watch any of this. Yeah, you're probably right. They're more likely to watch Return to Lonesome Dove. <laughs> oh, now you're making me long for Return to Lonesome Dove. You and the rest of the country. <laughs> it's a golden age, my friend. It certainly was. What was happening in the news, John? From WNBC-TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough and Pat Harper. You remember that kid who hijacked the A-train? Yeah. And just drove it, like, on course and on schedule for three? Yeah, I do. Well, Dateline. (laughs) Go ahead. Subway joyrider charged in stabbing. Wait. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no, he did it. I mean, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not saying that. It's. You know what happened? It sounded like you were concerned that he got stabbed. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Don't worry. He stabbed someone else, which is also bad. <laughs> also bad. I thought that he was just a fun joyrider who hijacked the subway. He I didn't was. know he was going to stab a dude. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's a little sad because, yeah, before it was like, oh, who's this little like genius kid the CIA is going to recruit? Heroes are falling from pedestals left and right in this town. Yeah, that's true. You really can't put your faith in anyone. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, He's back in court, this time on charges of attempted murder. Wow. So this was not even some incidental. No, he didn't. Yeah, no, he didn't slip with a knife out. Right. What's his name? Where does he live? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, The New York Times is a criminal white pages. (laughs) Mr. Thomas, 18, is accused of stabbing another teenager in a dispute over a dice game in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Oh, boy. On 35 grand bail, he was held. That's not what it says. I'm paraphrasing. Great. I'm like, boy, oh boy. That writer really took a nap in the middle of that story. (laughs) Uh, The person recovered. Okay. And is fine. But this also uh, brings up, we did a story on high school gambling back in the day, remember? Okay. You could say no. I think that's, I'm I'm sure that, John, it sounds like a thing that we could have talked about. (laughs) Anyway, this story is a real confluence of all those things. Yeah. It's unfortunate. So, uh, listen, hopefully there will be a positive update about this kid, you know, like a year from now. Yeah. Attempted murderer stabbing train robber. Not robber. Saves orphans. Oh, that's what happens. Yeah. Oh, no. He's dead. Oh, no. He has a Wikipedia page. 
Really? Yeah. Tell me more. Kieran Thomas. He was born in Trinidad as one of three children. How, wow. And moved to Brownsville, Brooklyn with his family in 1990. He became interested in trains upon moving to New York and avidly studied the New York Transit Authority's Book of Rules and Regulations and its preparation book for the train operator civil service test. I'll bet he did. Right. And then, of course, he did. He pulled the scam that we knew. Mm-hmm. And then in 1994, he was charged with attempted murder. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the probation he'd received for commandeering, oh, the subway train was extended. Okay. Oh, weird. So he didn't go uh, to jail. Not too weird. I'd imagine that you can't try to murder somebody without it having some negative effect on your probation. Yeah, but it feels slight. I guess he was not found not guilty, maybe, or something. Right. Like, if you're found guilty of attempted murder, they're like, you know what we're going to do? <laughs> We're going to keep a casual eye on you. Have you ever heard of a wrist slap? <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe they treat him differently because he was 18 instead of older. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it says subsequently. <laughs> Is that something that they do? And it's just like, okay, you're just legal age. Yeah. So. The older you get, the more severe the penalties. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, sir, you should know by now. You're 78. Yeah. Oh, uh, we've decided to try him as a barely adult. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, subsequently, Thomas became an electrician rather than a subway motorman because it provided a bigger income. And later in life, he owned a trucking company. Okay. And then he passed away on July 22, 2013 of heart failure at the age of 37. Oh, my gosh. I know. He had battled chronic heart failure for years. That's terrible. Yeah. And he has a Wikipedia page. Oh, and they're citing an article from the New York Times, December 27, 1998. So the Times wrote multiple stories about this guy. And that's in 98. That's after robbing, after attempted murder, and before his obituary. So he did something else in 2008. You know what this story is? This is a great story. Uh Uh-uh. We'll cover it when we get to 98. They wrote a story called After the Headlines, Fame, Fleeting Fame, Found These New Yorkers. Then what happened? Wow. So we've probably covered these people. Who knows who else we're going to meet in that article? Yeah, we'll have to judge ourselves in five, (laughs) four years. Four years of actual time, which is eight years in our time. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not because we only do 22 weeks a year. Oh, I'm so bad at math. You know what I'm saying, though? Every other. I do. Anyway, Dateline. Go ahead. Lights out for Times Square news sign. Is it lights out for the zipper? The zipper is the... (laughs) I love that this story starts with a puzzling, exciting uh, first line. Yeah. And then immediately goes into explaining what they mean. What? <laughs> is it lights like out for lead. the zipper? The zipper is well, the movie illuminated about? bulletin board <laughs> <laughs> that began carrying headlines around the triangular building at 42nd and Broadway on November 6th, 1928. I didn't know they had technology like that back then. Me neither. Wow. You think it was just a guy changing light bulbs really quickly? Yeah. And moving around <laughs> the, the built the thing? <laughs> Yeah, probably. On Thursday, New York Newsday, which has operated the zipper since 1986, said that it would not renew its lease on the billboard when it expires on December 31st. Quote, I love these local New Yorker quotes. Frankly, there's not much that much bang for the buck, <laughs> said Chiara <laughs> Coletti, vice president of public affairs for Newsday. We don't get very much out of that sign. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> New Yorkers love to throw a thing under the bus. They sure do. We don't get very much. That sign's lazy. <laughs> what have you done for me lately, sign? <laughs> uh, well, a number of uh, other news organizations have been approached about taking it over. It's not clear if they will. Miss Coletti said she could not reveal how much they pay to lease the zipper on the building. Mm-hmm. But she said, quote, it's a nice chunk of change. <laughs> <laughs> you know the scroll, right? Everyone, anyone who's been to Times Square knows this billboard. 
Sure. It's the headlines move, zip around. Right, 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 right. Oh, one of the first bulletins on November 6, 1928, carried the outcome of the presidential election, the defeat of Al Smith by Herbert Hoover. Huh, that's pretty neat. Al Smith. I've never heard of him. Me neither. And I've heard of every political opponent in presidential history. I know them all. Yeah, sure, sure. Who was that crazy one that Paul made a joke about? Oh, we can't even man. remember that. It's Lafarver or something like no, that. No, that's a good guess, I guess, but it's definitely not Lafarver. It's not Frenchy sounding. Oh, now I'm sad. Why are we even doing this, John? Yeah, I'm sorry. I know. If I can't remember the guy who lost a presidential race that Paul offhandedly mentioned in an episode that we covered seven months ago. It makes the whole thing a little pointless. Jeez. Okay, this is our last episode, everybody. Thanks for paying. Honestly, we just got into this to impress the chicks with our <laughs> trivial knowledge. That's why anyone does a podcast. <laughs> you know what? The first part is false. The second part is true. That is why anybody does a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> when World War II ended on August 14, 1945, a New York Times electrician named Jim Torpy flashed the words at 7.03 p.m. to the thousands of people who had jammed Times Square throughout the day. Star, star, star. Asterix. Asterix, asterix, mm -hmm. asterix. Official Truman announces Japanese surrender. Do you think those stars were because he wrote ass and had to bleep it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he put them at the end, too. <laughs> it said the stars were Mr. Torpy's idea. They represented the branches of the armed forces. You schmuck. That's just something that they're saying to sound good. <laughs> He'd be, uh, he, he, you know, he was telling his friends, they really mean ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's one final story. No, eh, forget that story. Okay. There wasn't a lot I of good news. I've, John, I've forgotten. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of good news, okay? I turned to our backup, as usual, New York Magazine. Great. Which had a few funny specifics. A, the okay. cover, the sexiest 70-year-old man alive. And it's a shot of Paul Newman in a old man hat. That sounds about right. But it has a story about, how do you say it, Bulgari? Yeah, I think so. Though if you were a uh, young me, you would have called it Bulgari. That's a V there, It's about it. how they've been ripping. It says a former employee alleges that Bulgari used the oldest retail trick in the book to overcharge a celebrity clientele for million-dollar jewels. Hmm. And then it has these little thumbnails shaming different celebrities. Oprah Winfrey. She paid more than $200,000 for this Pave diamond necklace, which she wore to the 1990 Grammys, which Russ probably watched on YouTube. I haven't yet, but I will now. <laughs> According to the ex-saleswoman, Winfrey thought she was getting a big discount, though the list price was $195,000. I didn't know Oprah was going to be wearing diamonds to those Grammys. Are you kidding me? You're going to not watch it? Baron von Thyssen, you know him? I don't. The Dutch-born art collector was overcharged so often, says the informer employee, that his name became virtually synonymous with the overcharging practice. Oh, no. Like, hey, we're going to go Von Thyssen, these guys. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to. Oh, I got totally Von Thyssen. So, you know, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> also, it's probably Von Thyssen. No, it's Von Thyssen. Von Thyssen, Von Thyssen. Let's call the whole thing off. Perfect. So, you know, that's the news. That's I love print. it. Bravo. We took a look into the past and we took a look into the future. That's true. Yeah. Very exciting. Now we have plans on a thing to talk about. In four to eight years. Four to 16 years. <laughs> Perfect. Let's talk about this episode of Mad About You. What do you think and what do our listeners think? I generally liked it. Yeah. 
I liked it very, very much. <laughs> I loved it the first time through. Repeated viewing things didn't hold up as well, but I really, really loved it the first time I watched yeah, it. Yeah, I could see that. What's funny is, so last week we didn't like it. Right. And our listeners very much liked it. Yes. This week we liked it. Yep. Not loved it. Mm-hmm. And our listeners did not like it. I'll give this one a I loved it. But yes, our listeners were... You'll Luke. give it an I loved it? I did. Wow. I clapped at the end briefly. We'll get into that later. You must have been delirious. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention. I was also delirious. So, <laughs> Is that an Eddie Murphy movie? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's stand-up. That's what I meant to say. I was wearing a red leather jumpsuit when I watched this episode. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about the ice cream man. Well, Ezio, who's Assassino Ezio. I hope I'm saying that right. I still have no idea. I don't see how you couldn't be. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way about pretty much everything. <laughs> I said kind of a mediocre episode, I thought, except for a couple highlights, like Jamie telling Paul about her day and the cab ride. Aside from that, not much. Let's see what you guys think. So he's throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> Well, he's just pursuing with trepidation because he was very much all about last week's episode. And we were like, here's why you're wrong. Yeah. And <laughs> so we're going to do like, it again. And here we go again. <laughs> no, no. He picked out some good highlights. I agree. He did. I agree. And we welcome opinions and we love you guys for sharing them. And Lauren. One way or the other. At LMH 311 said, mm -hmm. not my fave either. Agreeing with Ezio. Yep. The opening made me laugh a lot, and I found their first convo amusing because they're just talking about each other. But other than that, mediocre with a few laughs thrown in. Ouch. Okay. Okay. Ouch. That's fair. Look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But Tracy, at time with Tracy, with an mm -hmm. IE, said, The episode makes me laugh, and I've had days where I feel like I keep running into jerk after jerk. So when you meet a stranger who treats you like a human, it feels like a miracle. There you go. I completely agree with that sentiment. Oh, we got to read an email. Yeah. Yeah, we got to read an email from Tracy. Do it. She sent an email. I'm very excited about it. We're going to read it. Thank you, Tracy. I opened the wrong email account. Hold on. <laughs> sure. This is in reference to, I don't know, if you all didn't listen to last week's episode, you should go back and listen to it. Right. <laughs> You've got homework now. But the tag of last week's episode had Ira and Fran going back to the apartment of Lisa to mm -hmm. accost her for having sort of scammed them into two big meals. Yeah, to exact their revenge. Sort of felt like a law and order scenario. Right. So Tracy sort of cast it. She fleshed out the world of this law and order universe. Love it. And I think Munch might even be in here. I don't remember. Great. Mad About Mad About You is now back in the Munchiverse. Back in. Yeah, it was briefly <laughs> kicked out. Maybe episode three or so we entered, then we stepped away from the Munchiverse, and it's good to be back. <laughs> She said, hey, guys, I was listening to your latest episode that discussed Once More with Feeling, and I have to agree oh, <laughs> that it is indeed a stinker. Yes, that's one for us. There we go. For a long time, that episode didn't agree with me, but you articulated why, so thanks for that. At the end of the episode, you started joking about a Law & Order Mad About You crossover. Perhaps it is my years of watching both of those shows, but I feel like I was born for this because this list came to me easily. The big question is, would it be a comedy or a drama or somewhere in between? I think somewhere in between. Sure. I won't be writing a script. But if this show were a reality, here's who I would cast in the roles. Have fun reading this list, and I look forward to more mame. Jamie would be the savvy prosecutor. Okay. Alan would be the scummy defense attorney. Sure. Who's Alan? Alan is Eric Stoltz. Oh, her ex? Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, great. Yep. Because then they have that pass, too. Levels. There are layers to this casting. <laughs> Paul would be the smart-mouthed cop with a heart of gold, but is also into conspiracy theories. Oh, that's the munch. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. That's the Munch archetype. That might be Ice-T also. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd put Paul there. Okay. But, you know, we can, we'll work it out in development. Sure. Paul's got to be our Jerry Orbach. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Or our Tom Collins. What's his name? Jesse L. Martin. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. He's always Tom Collins to me, baby. Same. I watched the beginning of The Rent movie the other day. It oh, is not it's good. trash. Keep going. <laughs> it's like a bad music video for two hours. It sure is. Ira would be his partner who's constantly volunteering to take jobs that involves talking to sex workers. <laughs> that's why this has to be. Like, the rest of it can be a drama. But I love the idea of Ira just being like, well, what's going on? Sex worker bust over at uh, 14th yeah. and 9th? Ira would be Vice. I'll take care of it. <laughs> He'd be like, hey, Vice is my only Vice. <laughs> Fran would Great. be the hard-nosed police boss lady. Insert rank here. Great. I would, but I couldn't even name two. Oh, Sergeant Lieutenant. <laughs> Look at you. You surprised yourself. Lisa would be the recurring confidential informant, but she will only talk to Ira. <laughs> okay. Hal and Maggie Conway. Wow, this is a fleshed-out universe. It sure is. Are part of the press pack that are constantly insulting the police and DA. That's also good because you can get all of the different Hals. Yes, that's fill out true. The press. Yeah, one from the Village Examiner and one from the Village Inquirer. <laughs> Great. This is a very local show. Right. And all of the press is British. Yeah, they herald back to the founding of New York in the late 1600s <laughs> by the Dutch. Bert is the old but reliable cop approaching retirement who has seen it all and done it all, but now works behind a desk. He's always trying to cheer everyone up. Right. That sounds exactly right. Mm -hmm. He sounds like Jerry from Seinfeld. I'm kidding. Jerry from ER. <laughs> you remember him? I do. I remember him as Kubiak from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't. Really, I don't know who that is. Me neither. Let's not find out. Sylvia as the medical examiner. That's very funny, Tracy. For sure. <laughs> That's its own spinoff. I'd watch it. Yeah, like Quincy. Mm-hmm. Mark is the mayor who always insists the police and the DA's office are doing a fantastic job. Great. <laughs> leading him into the Spin City universe. I like those being connected. Yeah, this is a very good breakdown. I would watch this show. Absolutely. Dare I Let's say I'd it. even do a podcast. <laughs> You're going to take on another podcast? <laughs> well, I might, I might just have to. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and there's some more comments we'll sprinkle up throughout the episode. Sounds good. Thanks for chiming in and writing and contributing. Everybody. Yes, we love hearing from everyone. Love it. So this was directed by David Steinberg, mm -hmm. Jewish Steve Martin. and the Jewish Steve Martin, it back was again. written by Paul Reiser. Heard of him. Yeah. And, That's uh, pretty neat. Mark at Sancordia said one of the few episodes written solely by Paul Reiser, I think. Dot, yeah, dot, dot. That sounds right, at least so far. Yeah, because normally he collaborates with uh, Danny Jakes. Yeah. Yeah. This felt a lot like Paul to me. Oh, yeah. There's some moments that are like just dripping with. Yeah. Dripping with Reiser. Signature Reiser. Which is the name of our erotic fan fiction that we're working on. Dripping about. with Rise? Yeah. Dripping. <laughs> So, we start this episode with a cold open. Okay, yeah. I'm going to not dive into that. <laughs> I'm going to not plumb. Okay. I'm not going to not poke around in that vein anymore. I got a lot of ideas bouncing around my head. <laughs> the cold open for this one is Paul and Jamie on a couch. Phone rings. It's Sylvia. She is inviting Paul and Jamie to dinner. And Paul is trying to get out of it, saying, we already ate. Sylvia has questions. And Paul voices them out loud. What did we eat? We had chicken, roast chicken. We had squash. And the way that he's coming up with these details is Jamie is sitting next to him, miming in the style of charades what he should be saying. So it's very flaps her funny. Arms. It's very funny. Flaps her arms for the chicken. What kind of chicken? She does a little air rotisserie for the roast. The magic of this bit. 
is in the talking about it afterwards, the talking about visual things. Yeah, it's in the podcast. <laughs> what do you think the magic is? No, it's how she doesn't. It's all very routine. Yes. Yeah, she's not she even looking reading out. her book. Yep. She's just sort of cat, like the way she flaps her wigs like a chicken is so yeah. run of the mill. Yep. Yeah. And when it comes to dessert, Paul can't think of anything. Jamie takes the phone, says, what time should we arrive? And hangs up the phone saying to Paul, it's, it's just, just easier. easier. Which, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Episode proper begins and Ira is calling on the phone. Paul answers. He says, howdy. And it becomes clear through their conversation that they are going to be meeting Ira and a new girlfriend of Ira's to go and see, quote, the feel-good movie of the year. Later on, we learn that the feel-good movie of the year is called Feeling Good. So, boy, oh boy, this is quite a feel-gooder. Which feels like that thing you do or, like, it just feels, to me, it feels like it's going to be about, like, 60s music. <laughs> okay. Like the Beach Boys or Motown. Sure. But just the fun parts. <laughs> just the feel-good <laughs> Great. parts. Yeah. I like that. I'm trying to think of what... Oh, or the Sandlot. Yeah. In my head, I'm just, oh, it's Friends. And yeah, it's Friends, and it's a throwback movie to the days of youth back when nobody had a care in the world. This movie is 90 minutes of 11-year-olds catching fireflies. Yeah. There you go. It's a campaign ad for MAGA. <laughs> we'll get there, John. But... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we sure will. So, Jamie arrives... And she utters for the first time this episode, what is wrong with people? So I'm leaving school and I'm heading for the subway. And I see this guy on the street who's, who's got one of those tables by the curb where he's selling, you know, books and fruit and hosiery. And I remember I have to buy a birthday present for Marilyn's stepdaughter. Don't you buy a dictionary? Yeah, because she's going to college. Just like a thousand pounds. So the guy wants $40. Finally, I talk him down to 12 if he throws in a bag of tangerines and a pair of thigh highs. How many words could there be? So listen, so I give him 20. And before he can give me my change, this cop comes by and chases him off. With your change? Yes, with my change. Wow. So I say to the cop, that guy right there, there he goes. He's got my $8. Go get him. He doesn't go get him. He lectures me about buying stuff off the street. Okay. I love this monologue. This monologue is great. It's so fast, it doesn't even get some of the laughs it deserves. Yeah. She goes, I'm one of those stands where he's selling books and fruit and hosiery. <laughs> yeah, yes. And what did she talk him down to? $12. Yeah, that didn't make sense either. She talked him down from 45 to 12 if he threw in a bag of tangerines and thigh highs. Yeah, that's absurd. So she got more for less. It's great. It's great. You know what? He was probably having a hard time getting rid of those tangerines. So she's doing him a favor. Oh, definitely. So yeah, it, this whole thing is so good. And Paul's interjections are very funny. By interjections, I mean, he's just trying to give his good news. And Jamie is not hearing it. Right. Yeah, he got a grant from the New York City Film Council, which never gets brought up again. Yeah, good for him. It doesn't get brought up again, but also it contributes to his good mood because he's in a good place for this episode. Yes, that is true. He's very magnanimous. And I don't think that if he hadn't gotten this great news, that news is floating him. Yes, for sure. Because it hits the fan for Paul. So I missed this. So she bought a dictionary at that bookshop. Yes, at that book stand. Who was it for? A friend. Oh, that's why I missed it. Okay. She mentions their name, but I think it's a friend's birthday or something like that. Oh, okay. It's neither Lisa nor Fran, so it does not register. They don't exist. Yeah, so we literally don't have to see them later. Mm-hmm. Jamie is done with New York. She is having a done with New York day. These days happen every now and again. Not to me, baby. Not <laughs> You're constantly living it and embracing it 100%. Indeed. Good for you, my friend. Sometimes you need a break. 
I'm like, soon it will be hot enough and frustrating enough that I will wish that I was someplace cooler. And then later it will be cold enough and frustrating enough that I will wish that I was someplace warmer. Yeah. It's never not frustrating. Right. That's part of the Absolutely. Fun. So yeah, Jamie doesn't want to leave ever again. Paul convinces her to because they have to go and watch the movie with Ira and his girlfriend, who we learn is named Velma. They can't believe her name is Velma. Yeah, I guess that's unusual name. They have not watched a lot of Scooby-Doo, I suppose, because Velma is the name of a Scooby-Doo character. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, sure, fine. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't mention that. Although I will say that that defense doesn't hold up entirely because if Ira's girlfriend's name was Scooby-Doo, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that name is from Scooby-Doo. I don't know if I followed that, but I agree. (laughs) But (laughs) But I agree, and I don't want to dive any deeper. Well, great, because nor do I. We cut to a cab. And Paul has the unwrapped dictionary, and the cabbie wants to know whether they want to exit on the left side of the door, uh, the left side of the car and street, or the right side. Which is a very common... Yes. That's cab protocol. For sure. He really wants to know, though. Oh, yeah, because it's not for 20 blocks, Paul says. He's like, tell me! Yes. What do we know about this cab driver? I recognize him. Did you? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. Yeah, sure. He's played by Iqbal Fiba. Mm Mm-hmm. He, oh, one win, three nominations. I don't know for what. I do, I think. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Glee. Yes, outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series. Yep. He's the principal from Glee. He was pretty funny on that show. Oh, he was also a community? Oh, he's in 58 episodes of Glee, though. Oh, I see. He's a regular. He had a big role on that show. Oh, that's funny. There's an episode called The Hurt Locker. Yeah. That's funny. Couldn't have actually been funny. I'm sure it was very dramatic. Wait, really? Probably. How can you name an episode of a dramedy, a high school dramedy, after a dramatic war movie and not make it be silly? Because very little on that show was just out and out silly. Oh, I didn't know that. It looked super campy. It started out as super campy, and then they turned every week into an after-school special. Oh, that's too bad. It was. I'm going through his credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the most notable, I suppose. Yeah. He plays a lot of doctors. Sure. That sounds about right. Stereotypically, I guess. Yeah. And cabbies. I'm seeing multiple cabbies here and multiple doctors. That's why I think it was pretty neat that he was also the principal. So in the cab, he could be like, in old show, I was a doctor. <laughs> John, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. We learn in the cab that Jamie starts asking Paul questions about Ira's girlfriend. Paul knows none of the answers, and her questions are about what she does, how they met, etc., etc., and he doesn't know any of that stuff. What does he know? Ira says the sex is phenomenal, and she was an original member of the Go-Go's. Yeah, which is on Broadway right now with that over heels. What? Their music. There's a Go-Go's musical. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Oh, at yeah. All. Russ, get thee to a TKTS booth. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. The Go Go's are a fun band. Yeah. What's the main song? We Got the Beat. Yes, We Got the Beat. We also covered them on this show earlier, I think. Really? I think we did. Well, no, we covered Belinda Carlisle. No, we didn't. Well, here's what happens. This is why I was confused. We covered Belinda Carlisle. Oh, she's a Go Go. Yes, she's the lead singer of the Go Go's. And she did a song called Mad About You. And yes. we featured her yes, in that's the right. Mad About You episode. So, yeah. Jamie says, which go-go? And Paul, very Pauly, goes, Shemp. Yes, that's a very funny bit. <laughs> Can you explain the Three Stooges to me? Oh, what do you mean? Who's Shemp? 
Shemp is the fourth of them. Yeah, okay. So that that A, that's confusing. And then B, I think didn't multiple actors play some of the Stooges? Curly left after a time, I think. I don't know a lot about the Stooges either. But Curly left and they got a different Curly, uh, Curly Joe. And I think that that guy is actually, his full name is Curly Joe Besser. And he is related to Matt Besser. No kidding. Of the, of the Upright of Citizens the, Oh. Yeah. It became something of a brand after a time. And I think none of the original Stooges were playing the Stooges. I could be totally wrong about that. Yeah, the Stooges were never for me. Yeah, same. Yeah. That being said, Shemp jokes always for me. Yeah, because it's a funny name. Yep. It's a funny name and it's fun. Like, you know that he's a Stooge. And you know that the Stooges you know are Larry, Moe, and Curly. So the fact that there's also a Shemp, that's a funny dynamic to have. Agreed. We're just, yeah. So Paul thinks that this girl could be it for Ira. And Jamie does not want, Paul then thinks that, you know, this could mean a lot for him and it could mean a lot for us too. Jamie says, don't put that kind of pressure on us. We're like relationship whores. And Paul says, we're, actually, we're relationship pimps. We should get big hats. Yeah, that's fun. Sure. Who doesn't love an early 90s pimp? Hat joke. Hey, Russ, how do you get a bunch of popes into a taxi? How? Get them to take their hats off, I think. <laughs> right? No, that is a confidently told joke. That's some dumb joke from friends. <laughs> so Paul gets out of the cab in order to go to, they're at a stationery store, some kind of like the Walgreens of their time. Called Smilers. Yes. Well, and very fun. Walgreens. I yeah. was so jealous. <laughs> you were so jealous. Yeah, I love those businesses. Those old businesses that are only in like one city. Yeah, okay. Like Dwayne I Reed. Like that. That's why everyone was so upset when Dwayne Reed, the city drugstore, got bought by Walgreens. I didn't realize that people were upset about that. Oh, yeah, they raised such a stink. That's why huh. Walgreens, I'm pretty sure this is all true. That's why Walgreens pulled off on rebranding all of them. Interesting. They were like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just rebrand all the Walgreens that we're already here. We're not, sure. We won't change Dwayne Reed, but we own it. But we won't change it. Yeah. We'll put a little W off to the side. Everybody yeah. will know. But the exterior signage will remain the same. Right. The second that Paul gets out in order to buy wrapping paper and ribbons and tape and the cabbie wants a Sprite. Oh, that's great, too. Really funny. Him yelling out the window and a Sprite. As soon as he exits, another man enters the cab. This is a silly thing to have happen. I like it a lot. I don't know why. This should drive me nuts. But I'm down for this. Wait, why? You don't think it's plausible? As soon as he gets in, he should say, oh, I'm so sorry, excuse me. But the fact that he's then trying to kick Jamie out of the cab... Oh, sure, sure. ...is very ridiculous. Yes, agreed. But he handles it very well. He said he gets in, Jamie says, hello. The guy says, I saw it first. And Jamie says, I'm in here, which yeah, I thought was pretty that's good. That's very funny. Have you ever gotten in one of these altercations? I don't think so. I hope you have, though. A little, yeah. Tell me. I don't remember it that well. Off to a good start. Yeah, it's a good story. And I don't remember <laughs> if I gave it up or not. So you're saying that you were in a cab, somebody got into <laughs> oh, the no, cab, not this. and you might have gotten out? No, no, no. More multiple hailing. Like two people hailing the oh. same cab and then fighting. Sure, 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 sure. I just mean a cab ownership altercation. Yeah, I haven't gotten into one of those either. I don't compete anymore. If I see no. someone hailing, sometimes if I'm in a hurry, I do a little sneaky thing. Sure. Where I'll walk two blocks Oh, yeah, you're trying to... Yeah, but I feel like one them. block's egregious. Yeah, upstream. What, yeah, you really want to be out of clear line of sight. <laughs> Once you travel two blocks, you've reintegrated yourself into a different part of the city. <laughs> That's true. It resets. <laughs> <laughs> so one block is mean. Two blocks, you may as well be in a different zip code. <laughs> right. And all bets are off. Yeah, one block's rude. Yeah. Yeah. I love this rule. This guy, I 
think was played by Richard Redland. Okay. Did this character have a name? None of them do. Is there a character episode. named Frank in this episode? Um, no, right? I don't recall. I'm pretty sure this is the guy this who plays this character. Frank. Yeah. I wonder if his agent negotiated this. To get a name? They'll sometimes do that, and the name will be totally arbitrary and made up, <laughs> but it looks good on the resume. Sure. Better than Cab Man. Right. This guy was in, oh, A Diagnosis Murder. Great. Which was directed by Christopher Hibbler. You never know. He's no Michael Lang, I'll tell you that right now. Sure ain't. He was also in two episodes of Sisters. Oh, he was Great. in Heart to Heart, an old okay. TV movie of Heart to Heart. I loved Heart to Heart as a kid. You know that show? I know of it. I've never seen Murder it. Murder mystery husband and wife writers who also solve crimes in real life. That's and pretty by cool. real life, I mean fake life. Sure. Uh, he played audience member two in a Frasier episode. Couldn't get him a name on that one, I guess, huh? He's like, can I be Frank again? Yeah, yeah. I already played Maybe the guy. Maybe this guy got out of the cab and went over and was just like, forget it. I'm moving to Seattle. Yeah. So, you know, just a sort of character actor popping around. Sure. Anywho. Cool. He's great in this episode. He says, I've got tickets for cats. Jamie says, it's been running for 12 years. You can't wait for another cab. Yes, that was very funny. Because <laughs> it is very funny to, in a self-righteous way. Yeah. Or kind of sitting would be like, I have tickets for cats. Yeah. That's such a specific New York theater dig and it makes all the sense in the world i feel like that's a perfect joke for that punchline which is yeah. a dumb thing to say mm-hmm. but yeah i like that joke a lot paul really steps up in this episode a lot he does he's kind of uncharacteristic yeah he's like a guy guy yeah he's an alpha male for alpha sure. male there you go aka guy 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 he returns back to the cab and he is very stern about this guy leaving. He's like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get out of this car. I'm going to get into the car, et cetera, et cetera. And he's just like, he's laying it out for this guy. And the guy responds by saying, you know what you are? You're the reason people move to Jersey. Ooh, ouch. It's a solid dig. Paul gives the man a muffin as a peace offering, which I think is very funny. And then the guy gives Paul, I'm trying how best to describe this. In my notes, I called it an Italian F.U. Yeah, he gives him a, a... You know, the chin flick. Yes, he gives the chin flick, which is a real thing. I'll bet that this was an actual conversation, because to give the chin flick is an Italian F.U., but you probably can't do that on television. And so it became a nose flick. Ah, uh, yes, you're right. People know it's bad, and you can do it without being censored. I like this an awful lot. I remember this from an episode, but I thought that this might have happened in another show as well. I'm pretty sure it's probably just mad about you. I don't know. It seems like a possible convention. If anybody can think of another show that does the nose flick, please let us know. So <laughs> Paul is, he asks Jamie, what does that mean? I give you my nose? Oh, yeah, right. Very ridiculous. So we get to the exterior I mean, of the what? movie theater. Someone shows me their finger, and I'm supposed to be upset. <laughs> so It's a finger. Paul, you can show someone, give someone the toe, really. <laughs> I love you breaking this down. You know I'm doing that. Paul, you know what I'm doing, right? Tell me. I said old Seinfeld bit. Oh, gosh, that's right. She's breaking this down the same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I show you my finger. <laughs> we get to the exterior of the movie theater where Paul and Jamie have gone to, they're going to buy tickets for this movie. And they wonder, what if Ira already got them? Paul buys the tickets, Ira arrives. He did, in fact, already buy them. He has two sets of tickets. You should have listened to Paul's concern, because Paul knows Ira. Yeah, just wait, just wait. There wasn't that bad a line. Not a bad line at all. Did not need to buy, yeah, this could have been a conversation beforehand. The ticket taker is not credited. Interesting. Unless that was Frank. I was going to say, he was one of the guys who I thought might have been Frank. Yeah. 
Might be Frank. We'll never know. Frank? Question mark. Is there a lawyer in this episode? I don't think so. Oh, this is the guy from the cab, Alan Wasserman. Oh yeah. I think. Oh, is he a lawyer? Yes, I could see that guy as a lawyer. Okay. Boy, this is hard. <laughs> I'm trying to do the actors on the fly this week because we didn't have time. And the I tell you. There's a lot of them, and everybody's unnamed. This guy was the gym teacher in Big. The job interviewer, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, the gym teacher from Big. Yeah, you know him from the... The job interviewer from from Cocktail. The mortician (laughs) from The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. And Mel from And You Thought Your Parents Were Weird. Alan Wasserman. Oh, Around the World in 80 Dates. He's currently filming. Great. Oh, and he was in Suburbicon recently. Cool. Which I didn't see. He plays the doctor in Funny People, who tells, I think, Adam Sandler that he's sick. Right. So, yeah. That's doing great. Doing great. Paul tries to sell his tickets to a man currently waiting on the ticket line, and it does not go well. The man says, what am I, from Winnipeg? That's great. That's pretty funny. This guy is uh, Kelly Perrine. Do you know him? I do not. He looks very familiar. Do you know the Night Squad? K-N-I-G-H-T? Yeah. I think that may be a Martin Lawrence movie. Yes, I think you may be right. No, that might, or is that, I'm not sure. Well, it's a show now coming in 2018. Yeah, it might not be them. Two mismatched students. I was thinking Oh, it's Black a Nickelodeon. Knight. He's in a Nickelodeon yeah. show. Oh yeah. my gosh, I, audition, I auditioned for this party guy. <laughs> wow. This SOB. That, yeah, I read for this part. That's amazing. Sir Gareth. We're personally invested. Knights of Astoria used to be called. That's funny. That's so funny. Yeah, so, okay, so he's in that. And he's in a lot of short films that I've shared names with. Oh, he's in Trial and Error. Okay. The old Michael Richards movie. Oh, my gosh, that's right. Played Kurt. I think he does a really great job in this episode. Oh, yeah, he's hilarious. Really, really funny. Have you ever tried to do this with movie tickets? Oh, I don't know if I've ever had surplus but if i had i would have started with a discount i think i have done this and successfully no not at all yeah because who would buy the rules are completely different jen and i were going to see borat i bought tickets ahead of time then work ran late we had to change plans and not go and i've got these tickets and this was maybe i think it was like three or four weeks after borat had come out so there may have been a time wherein i could have done this successfully yeah like if it was sold out maybe you could pull it off right but i'm just like hey anybody there's anybody planning on going to see borat right now tickets tickets you want them from me instead it would feel weird to do at a concert it felt just so bananas at a movie yeah i mean it's the dumbest thing in the world it's the dumbest (laughs) it did not work and it doesn't work for Paul. He is recount. So he and Ira recount the nose gesture, the nose flick. Yeah, I love how Paul's to Ira's just like, hey, you piss people off. Anyone ever do this to you? Yeah, it's a really good line. He shows what happened. And in his recreation, he flicks off the guy to whom he was just trying to sell tickets. And that guy says, you got a real problem and gives it back. He does like a weird thing with his fingers. Yeah, he does the nose flick and then waves it off, like saying goodbye. He makes it his own. And then an elderly woman gets on the ticket line. Oh, ma'am, excuse me. Are you you going to buy tickets? How do you know my name? Your name is ma'am? What do you want? Another, another. We just bought some extra tickets by accident. We thought maybe you could buy a couple of them. Let me see. 
Are, are these real? No, no, we spent months working on them in our garage. I'll give you four dollars. It's thirty dollars worth of tickets. I am a senior citizen. Okay, okay, no, we, uh, you know what? You're absolutely right. Why don't you, you take the tickets? What do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean? I mean, take them. They're yours for free because I had a good day and I'm a nice guy. What are you trying no, to pull? I want you to take the tickets. No, no, I don't want them. Please, it's a gesture. I don't I, want them. I want you to go. Oh. Just get away from me. This is a great exchange. She makes the most of her part. And starting this off by Paul saying, ma'am, and her saying, how did you know my name is so weird and great. Yes, that is a super weird <laughs> moment. She's played by B.B. Osterwald. She's great in this. She was born in 1918. That feels right. Her last credit. Oh, she was uh, a few voices in Rugrats. Great. Her last movie credit was as good as it gets. Hmm. Co-starring our girl. And her first was a 1961 movie called Parish. Oh, she's in fun movie names. Like what? The World of Henry Orient. You weren't kidding. The Tiger Makes Out. The Great Bank Hoax. Caddyshack <laughs> 2. Ooh, oh my gosh. Have you seen Caddyshack 2? Uh, no. Oh, that's the one with Jackie Mason, right? Yeah, it is. Oh no, John, are we going to have to watch Caddyshack 2? I sure am. It's so bad. I love it so much. I love that terrible movie. Jackie Mason has a top billing on that movie. Yeah, he sure does. Oh, and Randy Quaid's in it? Yep. Jonathan Silverman. Oh, yeah, I got to watch this. Yep. Dan Aykroyd is back. And B.B. Austin. Dan Aykroyd, rather, is in. Yeah, it's a bad, great movie. As Mrs. Pierpont. Mazel tov. Can't wait her? to see it. I don't. Oh, she goes all the way back, too. Her TV credits include Schlitz Playhouse of the Stars, the Philco Television Playhouse, etc. Wow. Yeah. That is old school. Mm -hmm. Anywho, she's great in this. She's great in this. She and Paul wind up slapping at each other, or Paul is trying to put tickets into her pocket, and he gets swatted away. And Ira says, as Velma arrives, Ira says, this is my cousin. He doesn't usually fight with the elderly. Yeah. This to me is like a cartoon New York bucket list moment. Fighting with the elderly? You want to do that? You want to get needlessly beaten up by an old woman with a purse. Okay. I like that. <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> and where you say, hey, lady, watch it. Relax. <laughs> that is, I love that, that. Like, it is clear that you are a child of Seinfeld when you're like, oh, maybe someday I'll get beaten up by an old woman on the street. That only happens once in that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, but what a time. Uh, well, yeah, what a time. It really was a golden age of that. Shut up, you old bag. Shut up, you old bag. <laughs> so then we cut to the interior of the movie theater, and we have been learning more about Velma. Oh, also, can I just point out how crazy it is that they're taking cabs all over the place? Because they seem to be traveling within four blocks of their apartment <laughs> the whole true. night. That's true. Yeah, they don't have to go too far at all. Yeah, because the, the cabbie, they're like, it's 20 blocks away. And then they go to Cinema Village. I guess because they didn't have enough B-roll for another movie theater. That could be. The other movies playing at Cinema Village, by the way, are It Can Happen to You and Frankenstein. Yes, that's fun. Mary Shelley's yeah. Frank with Robert De Niro, I think, right? Yep. He was in a Frankenstein. I'm not sure if he was in this Frankenstein. Oh, I think he was. With him? I think he was the monster. And Kenneth Branagh was also in yes, it. Yes, Kenneth as Branagh. Frankenstein. What a weird movie. Yeah, Robert De Niro is the creature. Slash yep. sharp featured man. Oh. Helena Bonham Carter, Aiden Quinn. We're off on a tangent. We okay. are. Redirecting. Coming, Coming back, back around. We're in the theater. Oh, this is a very fun scene. This is great. Velma is insisting that the skiing video for the song Vacation was actually shot on a real mountain. And Wait, this rings. Rust, you don't know the video? I do know the video. I think I know the video. Oh, it's water skiing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I was shocked for a second. I was like, what? 
in my head, I can sing vacation over uh, regular skiing just the same as water skiing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny to me that they think this is funny, too. Yes. That that video is so well known that the notion right. of someone being like, no, no, we were actually skiing is we were funny. There. Yeah. Because I looked at the video because I'd never seen mm -hmm. it or heard of it. Mm -hmm. It's very funny because they're fun. so clearly not skiing. <laughs> and, like, it's so fake. Sure. Except the wide shots. I'll abstain from agreeing with you on this since I was just like, yeah, it was on a mountain. So I'll, yeah, I'll, rather than sure. perpetuating like, yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. You're so right about that video. I agree with what you're saying. I, the well, mountain I'll guy. I'll tell you, the wide <laughs> shots, it's clearly four women water skiing. The medium shots of each go-go, though, it's clearly they're just holding like a rope. And there's like a green screen behind them. <laughs> Wonderful. So Jamie put her coats down on a chair in front of them, trying to discourage people from sitting in front of her, which is a Bush League move. Agreed. Hey, Ira's date, we then learn she used to do, she used to be in the Go-Go's. Now she's a manager of, as she says, Aerosmith. And she got into that through after going to NYU film school. When did it dawn on you that she was a compulsive liar? As soon as she said she was Aerosmith's Same. manager. These lies build on each other and are very funny. It's a and, very fun runner. And it's fun to watch it dawn on Paul. Yes. Because he starts to screw up the names of people that used to teach at NYU film school. And she just agrees with each of them. Yes. First, he gets the class wrong. Right. He's like, oh, were you in this with Schultz? And he was like, oh, wait, no, he taught documentary. It was Schlatz. And for each she's like, uh-huh. Yep, yep. Right. Yep. And at one point, he's like, oh, wait, no, Schultz is our pharmacist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And she had already agreed. Paul's in on it. Doesn't bust her at the moment. Oh, we get another get me. Yeah, that's right. His seat is too low. Like, yep. it's busted. And he goes, get me. I'm 11. I'm a <laughs> it's a good get me. So a man sits down in front of Jamie. He's very tall. That's what happens, man. Uh, it stinks. But Jamie has a way to around it. She sits on a dictionary. Uh, which, why did they bring the dictionary inside? Well, I guess I got it. Where are you going to put it? You want to tie it to a chain like a dog and leave it outside? I was going to say leave it in the car. I forgot they're in cabs. A woman sits down behind Jamie and complains to Jamie, hey, don't sit on a dictionary. Jamie says, pretend I'm this tall. Or she says, you're not that tall. Jamie says, pretend I am. And the woman begins kicking her chair. Jamie says, can you please stop doing that? And the woman says, pretend I'm not. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah. I think this woman is played by June Gable. Okay. A.K.A. Estelle Leonard. Oh, Joey's agent. Oh, neat. I knew she looked familiar. And yes, that feels right. Yeah. Oh, and she was in Seven Apps of Dream On. Cool. Oh, Barney Miller. Excellent. Every... 80s dad's favorite jailhouse sitcom or precinct sitcom. <laughs> she's been at it for a while. She sure has. And she's still at it. She's in the new Nonsense TV series. I bet that was a pilot. I don't know. Oh, that's too bad. Nonsense is a fun show. Oh, she's in the week of that Adam Sandler Netflix movie. Oh, cool. About the way. Oh, you would love it. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of very specific Long Island jokes. Oh, okay. That are very funny. I think I like that because it's, you know, he's a Long Island dad with a big family, and it's very... Okay. A lot I of Billy Joel. It. Love it. Love it, love it. Velma is played by Marita Garah... Gara She's got a tough name. <laughs> Marita Garahti. G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. How do you say that, Russ? I say it Marita. Uh -huh. 
She was in Sleeping with the Enemy. She's Julie. Okay. She's Nancy in Groundhog Day. Great. She was like sort of a... Okay, yeah, yes. You remember her? That's it, yes. She's the girl who Bill Murray makes out with on the couch. And uh, I've never seen it. He called you, Wait, you've never seen Groundhog Day? No, I've never seen Groundhog Day. Oh, John. That's a biggie. And every day I wake up and I still haven't seen Groundhog Day. <laughs> You're not allowed to make that joke. <laughs> Having not seen it, I won't allow it. Oh, she was in. Do you remember this show we talked about a long time ago called Whoops? Yep. About the end of the world. Yeah, she was one of the leads in that. Great. I don't know how we got on that show. Someone must have worked on it, though. In this show, we talk about old television. Oh, maybe that's it. That was probably it. Right. We do that on this show? Yeah, you should listen. Yeah. Uh, I don't have time. <laughs> uh, oh, she played Margaret in the Big Salad. Okay. The Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Very cool. She's everywhere. She's great. And she even did Touched by an Angel. Okay. Wonderful. She's fun in this. Oh, she's great. Paul recommends a compromise to Jamie and the woman that Jamie should only sit on A through L in the dictionary. Very funny. He opens the dictionary in half. So at this point, trailers start. A man a few rows behind them begins to talk kind of loudly. Jamie instantly shushes him. Jamie should cool out for a little bit. They're still in trailers. And as Jamie and Paul complain to each other about this talking guy, the man starts in with Paul saying, hey, stop talking. Maybe this is Richard Redland? Maybe. It's weird because to me, this is one of the best parts in the show. Yeah. I think you did a fine job. This part is just so weird and funny. Right. Because, A, he looks like a cool guy. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. And he's audibly, like, the idea of a cool guy sitting in the back row complaining about how they made Alan Alda the killer <laughs> in some movie is already very strange. <laughs> a guy like yeah. that who has any strong opinion on Alan Alda is funny. <laughs> on its own. I never thought about that part. Yeah, that's very true. But then he just gets to play the game of, like, mean guy who you can't be mean back to. Yeah, he starts throwing milk duds at the back of Paul's head. At his medulla. Yeah, trying to goad him into a fight. Great Paul quote I wrote. What was the line? The guy just bounced a milk dud off my medulla. <laughs> He's pretty proud of that one. So at this point also, in the back row, our villain has... One foot resting upon the other leg's knee. So he's sitting cross-legged. Wait, he does? This is an important element for this. For at least one shot, he's got his legs crossed. Wait, so he doesn't need to be in the wheelchair? Well, that's what we learn in a second. Paul goes up to fight this guy and confront him, and we learn that this guy's in a wheelchair. Wait, but... I think it was a poor acting choice. I think that this guy got he casual. He messed up? I do. And no one noticed? I do. That's a real insult to David Steinberg, Russ. I'm taking everybody down with me on this one. This has one of the most, to me, the funniest exchanges in the show. What is it? Well, let's say in TV history. Whoa! Not really. I don't know. I don't think it got a big laugh, but I think it's brilliant. What's the exchange? Paul's like about to hit the guy, kind of, and then when he sees in a wheelchair, he's like, I can't. Right. And yeah. then the guy gets, of course, mad. He's like, what? You're not going to hit me? Because it's a very uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm style scenario. Right. So then Jamie's like... You're going to hit him? And Paul's like, I don't want to insult the guy. <laughs> so then she's like, so you're going to hit him? And he goes, well, it feels like the right thing to do. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh -huh. How does it feel to watch TV history, ladies and gentlemen? That's a wonderful exchange. <laughs> it's very funny. So as Paul turns back to this guy, the guy punches Paul in the face. Yes. Paul says, what do you do that for? And the guy says, because we're having a fight, genius. Yeah. <laughs> 
And Ira says to Velma, he very rarely fights with people in wheelchairs. So yeah. this has become a runner. That runner's a little annoying, but whatever. I, I'll give it to him. I like it. Yeah, I'll give it to him. You're not going to take it from him. Yeah, no, I'll give him everything. We cut to the cab. Paul again is uttering what is wrong with people. He says that he hears a clicking in his nose. And Paul and Jamie then touch on Ira's lying girlfriend. I like this conversation a lot. This feels this scene is what Paul basically said the entire show of Mad About You should be. You go out, you do the thing, and then it's about the car ride home after right. you talk about everything that just happened. Which uh, our buddy Mac, at Mac W. Jackson, a host of the Never Gets Old podcast and the MacGyver podcast and the Stargate podcast, uh, said we can also relate to the two noticing dealing with the lying date of Iris. That's definitely a, quote, ride home discussion between couples. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So Jamie wants to know if it's appropriate for them to bring this up to Ira, the lying. And Paul says, nothing. We're going to go out and have a nice dinner. And Jamie says, yeah, she can tell us she invented meat. <laughs> I miss that. That's funny. Yeah, that's fun. So then we go to Riffs, where it is dinner time. Now, when I was a child, I was on to tell the truth. You're kidding. Mm-hmm. I was one of the imposters for Caroline Kennedy. Caroline Kennedy? Mm-hmm. With a C. <laughs> she is very nice. Oh, we all went out to Hyannisport afterwards, reenacted the scene for Joe, who wasn't able to leave the house at the time. Oh, they had a deli platter. The Kennedys? Mm-hmm. Kennedys had a deli platter. Yeah, so? I'm just trying to get a mental image of the whole thing here. I was up in the attic playing with John John. Yeah, mm-hmm. I bet you were. Velma knew Liza and John John. And the Kennedys had a deli platter. That is so great. Watching Paul Buckman choke on the notion that the Kennedys had the deli platter is... That's so funny. That's such a weird specific. Right. It's such a great specific to choke on. Yeah. Because it says who Velma is. It comments on Velma. It comments on the Kennedys. Uh It comments on the notion of deli platters. Yes. It's so weird and so great. Oh, she dated Henry Kissinger? Right. Right. Which is insane. Oh, man. Time-wise. Yes. Paul and Jamie have decided that they have had enough of Velma's BS, basically, and they leave in order to avoid the liar. So Paul and Jamie leave in order to get the hell away from her, and Jamie says to her, good luck in the marathon, and Velma says, oh, thanks, I'll be lucky just to finish in the top ten again. Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just a ridiculous what a person. Part. This episode's full of fun small parts. Yes, for sure. I love it. Cut back to a taxi. Uh, this is a brief one where they confirm the lie and establish that they're going to drop off the book. Right. And then later on, they're going to see a midnight showing of the movie. How fun. Really fun. Great, great, great. They can still salvage the night. Yes. I love it. They never admit defeat, by God. No. They are relentless seekers yeah. of joy. <laughs> They arrive at this mystery friend's apartment, and Paul, well, Paul's stepped in something. That is perfect. Ugh. What? Stepped in something. Well, wipe it off. Well, what is this? Just wipe it off. It's veal. Oh. Somebody threw out an entire di- What is wrong with people? What are they, 10J? I stepped in veal. Honey, it happens. It doesn't happen. It happens. Name me one person in history who steps in veal. I paused it and turned to Christina and said, this is a great line. It's great. And she said, what? Because I was watching it with headphones and I just said, I stepped in veal. <laughs> I stepped in veal. Paul. 
it's really I feel like that's a tentpole Paul Reiser, the character and comedian and person kind of line. The kind of guy who would come up with that as a problem in New York. We'll get to it in the tag, but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So, so good. Oh, it's the Curdies. That's who the dictionary's for, the Curdies. Yes, yes, yes. We hear that name a lot because as they are trying to drop off the gift, the Curdies are not home, and the people who would be receiving the gift, they are not home to receive the gift, and so they cannot leave the package for them. Uh, this is very frustrating as they have been carting around and wrapping a big old heavy dictionary all night long. But then also it's like, he's like, you got to be on the list. You got to be on yeah. the list to leave a package. To leave it's, a pa- so it's very insane. confusing. Also, was that guy Steve Pamer? I think so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Jen, we heard him, and Jen was just like, hi, Steve. Oh, wow. <laughs> Highly tuned. Here. Yes, there's a camera involved as well at the door here, and Paul looks into it, knowing that Steve Pamer is on the other side, and he flicks his nose at the surveillance camera and hurts himself further. Yeah, we cut to the box office because they have now they're finishing their night trying to see that movie again. The box office is closed. Uh, Jamie says, you said there was a midnight showing. Paul says, what do I know? I carry a dictionary and step in veal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Very fun. There's nothing sadder than getting to a theater and missing the thing. It's a real bummer. It made me, It yes, seeing the closed sign is just like. It's oh. Also, it's like I go in late. I just want to see anything. I just want to sit in an air conditioned room. Sure. And laugh a little. Yeah. Oh, John. That Somehow that got bleak. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see anything. I just want to sit in an air conditioned room and laugh a little. Russ, that's how you end up going to see That's My Boy. <laughs> Oh, no. At four o'clock on a Friday. Oh, gosh. Alone. How was it? The best? Yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> I feel bad for all you people who didn't see it, who didn't think it would be good. All of you sweaty people out there. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Vanilla Ice, hysterical actor. <laughs> so Ira and Velma then unexpectedly show up at the theater in order to also see the Yeah. Show. What a nightmare. Yeah, so Paul and Jamie basically get busted for having ditched them. As an adult, being caught ditching someone yeah, seems like an, a living nightmare. Yeah. For a while, before she passed, my grandmother was living with my parents, mm-hmm. and she always wanted to be included in absolutely everything, and then would lots of times be very frustratingly angry or whatever. But regardless of all of that stuff... It was just like my parents would sometimes want to do something by themselves, but she would feel left out if she was left alone. Mm-hmm. And so my parents would be like, for a little while, they were like, I'll, I'll meet you in the car. We're going to say we're just going to go to pick up X, Y, and Z. And then they'd like go to see a movie. And my 60-year-old parents were ditching their 80-year-old mother and mother-in-law, sneaking out like a couple of teenagers. <laughs> Yeah, you grew up in the house from everybody was Raymond, didn't you? Yeah, basically, yeah. In too many ways, I absolutely did that. We just heard from Roving Runner on Midtown. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's timing these really well. <laughs> Except this is unrelated to the podcast completely. He said, I know you're recording now, but Russ, you should know that Bobby Bonilla received $1.19 million today for the eighth consecutive year. 11 more to go. He hasn't played baseball in years. I love my Mets. 
Happy Bobby Bonilla Day, Rise That's Guys and Rise Gals. What he had a contract and then they fired him. Like he had a contract and they said rather than paying you eight million dollars now, we're going to pay you the league minimum. And this was back in the late nineties. We're going to pay you the league minimum, and then starting in ten years or something like that, five or ten years after you retire, we'll give you every July first, we will pay you one million dollars for twenty-five years. Wow! He won for life. He won for life. I mean, the guy did it. <laughs> wow. Now, yeah, every July 1st, it's just like, ah, that's my team, ladies and gents, where a man who hasn't played for them in yep. almost two decades. They're like, oh, we'll give him a mill. Yeah, is owed $1 million for the next decade and a half. Anywho. Anywho. Velma has had enough of Paul and Jamie's behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and says, I just hate being lied to. I loved that moment. It's really funny. And Ira looks at Paul and says, you hurt me, Polly. And that made me a little sad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then as Ira walks away with Velma, he says, they very rarely lie to people. Yeah. That one was punched in. That one was 80 yard for sure. So Paul and Jamie have had enough of their night. They are defeated at this point, and they have a almost literal days ex machina because from out of the theater comes the projectionist who makes a little bit of small talk and then offers to play Paul and Jamie the movie. And he'll do this, and he'll just sit in the back of the house doing his crosswords. And to help with those crosswords, Paul gives him a dictionary. This will not help with a crossword No. Puzzle. <laughs> it's the wrong kind of book. Wrong thing. Well, this plot point is so... I love it. It's schmaltzy. Yeah. It's unrealistic. Sure. Because someone mentioned that. Let's see. Someone mentioned. Also, there's a projectionist union. So there's absolutely no way that this guy. Oh, but could, it's, it's New York. Could or would do this. He's like, I'm off the clock. You get those rogue projectionists in New York. <laughs> you think he's a scab? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark at Sancordia, S-A-N-C-H-O-R-D-I-A, said the end where the old projectionist lets them watch the movie is good, though does this really happen? Probably not. No. He reminds me of the, oh, nobody saw Last Action Hero. Never mind. I did. Oh, you remember that projectionist played by, uh, what's his name? Robert. Was Prosky. Yes. Yeah, he's another, like, projection. Let's call it the old archetype. You've heard of the hooker with the heart of gold? Sure. This is the projectionist with the heart of gold. We have, yeah. In such masterpieces as Last Action Hero and Mad About You Season 3, Episode 10. And frankly, it's getting a little tired at this point. <laughs> uh, this guy, though, is played by George Wallace, a.k.a. George D. Wallace, blah, blah, blah. This guy, yeah, you know. When... Yeah, I'm going to say, I could think of two other George Wallaces, and I don't think that he is either of them. Well, one of them is black, the one I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, he is neither the black comedian nor the old racist senator the segregationist oh that's right yes he's neither one of them <laughs> he's neither he's a third ladies and gentlemen you're going to learn about the third george wallace right now he worked with harold clerman on the broadway production of pipe dream at the schubert theater in 1955 i mean wow harold clerman ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> is this thing on, ladies and gentlemen? The reason I like looking at their old credits is I'm just jonesing. I'm dying for the day we look one of these guys up and they worked with Jerry Adler as stage manager in an old Broadway show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Guess is it this one? Who? Oh, he was a replacement. He's not part of the original cast, but he was on Broadway in the original production of Company. Oh, neat. Stephen Sondheim's Company. 
that's fun. And then film-wise, he's just been in everything. Going back to 1950, The Sun Sets at Dawn. TV-wise, I bet he was in radio, too. There was a show called Your Jewelers Showcase. Ooh, he was in Dragnet. Cool. Blah, 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 blah. That's great. Blah, blah, blah. Wait, hold on, though. There's some good stuff in here. Wow, he was in a lot of Westerns. That's not as good as I thought. Oh, oh, he was in all these, like, B-movies. That's it. Okay. Including one called The Fat Man, which seems to just be about a big fat guy. Great. Who maybe terrorizes people in the 50s. Call me when Jake shows up. Oh, here's his bio. George Wallace was born in New York. <laughs> this is written poorly. It makes it seem like George Wallace was born in New York at age 13. Wait. I read it wrong. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this. I was going to say, look, it's pretty late in the episode. We don't need to hear George Wallace's entire bio, but if he was born at age 13, then yes, we do need to, we need to know a lot more about him. Wait, but this is, listen to this. He joined the Navy in 1936, got out in 1940, then went right back into it again when World War II started. Ended up in LA after a total of eight years in the service. He supported himself with an array of odd jobs from working for a meat packer to lumberjacking in the high Sierras. Attracted the attention of Hollywood columnist Jimmy Fiddler who helped him get his showbiz start. He enrolled in drama school in the late 40s and earned his living tending the greens at MGM. Okay. He soon began landing jobs in film and TV, most notably as Commando Cody in the Republic serial Radar Men from the Moon. Great. He later made his Broadway debut in Richard Rogers' Pipe Dreams. Great. Yeah. This guy sounds very, very successful. A long story career. I feel like he was probably special and recognizable to Paul. Right. Because he seemed to like all those old sci-fi B-movies and stuff. That's great. Anywho. I love it. That's how the episode proper ends. And I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it so much. Like I said, I I sat and applauded from my seat on the couch. And then the tag happens and it's just Rudy Giuliani speaking to camera. And I booed out loud. Oh, but Russ. Yes. This is a great tag. Yes, I'm sure it's great. Did you not even listen to it? I had a hard time. Ah, you lefty libs make me so (laughs) sick to my stomach. The present day colored my opinion, for sure. Well, you're not the only one. Mark at Sancordia, S-A-N-C-H-O-R-D-I-A, said, Rudy Giuliani's in this episode, so that kind of sours it for me. (laughs) Yeah. At least at the end of it. Dot, dot, dot. Who knew back then how abhorrent he would become? I know I didn't. I didn't either, though many old New Yorkers would argue they knew all along. That's also true. He says in his speech, he's standing up for New York. It's funny. It's a funny idea to come on as the mayor and say, listen, New Yorkers are a lot nicer than the ones you saw represented on TV tonight. Yeah, the city's taking a beating. And so Rudy basically, two things he says, or he says people are a lot nicer. Two things that you could take home with you. Cab drivers very much want to be told on which side to get out. And two, people almost never step in veal in the city. And he breaks on that line. Yes. It seems like he's never read this before and he's doing this in one. It seems like there's a part of his morning where he has to do these kinds of like sit down and read a thing in front of a camera. Yep. Just a series of cold reads. And this is one of them. And when he gets to that veal line, he can't help but laugh. He definitely chuckles a bit. And I'm sure that is a big feather in Paul Reiser's cap. (laughs) He made Rudy laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he's delighted about it. (laughs) And that's this episode. A fun one. I like this one very much. I did too. It was nice to bounce back to flat out enjoying the show after a week of not so much doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's not a masterpiece, but it's a good one. 
Yeah, that Paul Reiser, not a bad writer. Not bad at all. Rise guys and rise gals, thank you so, so much for listening and for emailing and tweeting. We really appreciate it. You guys are the best. If you want to keep it up, keep doing it. Or if you uh, had thoughts on uh, what, we, what we said or whatever, you want to let us know, uh, you can tweet at us at madaboutyoupod. You can Facebook us at madaboutyoupod. You can email us madaboutyoupod at gmail.com. We want you to do all of those things. So please do. Yeah, feel free to, uh, if you like the show and you haven't done this yet, uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes. Yeah. Or on Stitcher or anywhere you listen. Leaving the review helps get the word out and helps uh, get more listeners. Spread the word. Leave a review. Tell a friend. Tell somebody. Tell a friend. Absolutely. Word of mouth is great. Yeah. A buddy of mine recommended a podcast to me a couple of weeks ago. I've become completely obsessed with it. I listen to it all the time. Same thing happens to me. Yeah. And I didn't read no review for that. So if you're not leaving reviews, gosh, it would be great if you were talking about this to some folks. And I hope you are. Do both, you know. Do both. Why not? You've got time. Uh (laughs) You know, just because Russ didn't read no review doesn't mean other people don't read no review. (laughs) We have a theme song and it sounds like this by Mr. John D. Ivy. Thank you so much, John. We also have a logo by Nathan Diffie. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan D-I-F-F-E-E. Thank you very much, Nathan. We have uh, sound mix with uh, good levels and no coughs. <laughs> that was done by Vuk Ivanovich. Thank you, Vuk. Thank you, Vuk. Rise, guys and rise, gals. Thanks again for listening. We are very, very happy to get to do this. And we're thrilled that you listen and partake and enjoy alongside us. So let's keep doing it. John, we'll do more of these. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? <laughs> this has been Mad About Mad About You, everybody. I'm Russ Fader. And I'm Jonathan Marbley. <laughs> and this is this what, is what we're, we're saying. saying.